Sung Ryu is a Korean English translator who calls South Korea the US, Canada and Singapore home. Her translations include Tower by Bae Myung-hoon, I am waiting for you and the other stories by Kim Bo-young, co-translated with Sophie Bowman. The Korean edition of Grandma Moses My Life History by Anna Mary Robertson Moses and Shoko Smile by Che Yoon-yong. In this episode she talks about her translations, the themes she gets drawn to and the book Shoko's Smile. Welcome to our podcast Sang. Thank you. Thank you for coming over. Yeah, thank you. I'm very flattered. I have listened to a couple of episodes before coming on today and I was just um yeah, honored to follow the footsteps of the translation greats uh in this interview. And I I think any platform that really just shines a spotlight on translators and their stories is super fascinating. And so, yeah, I I wanted to come come and talk to you. So you have a degree in marketing. Uh, how did you end up uh, becoming a translator? Yeah, so that's actually a, the first time I've been asked that question, and I think it's a great question. Um, well, but but uh, when I started translating, that was way before I started uh, studying marketing, and so that was when I was nine years old um, when I first moved to the states with my parents, and so I didn't know a word of English when I when I moved there. And when you're learning a new language, you really have to translate. You're forced to translate in order to learn it. And so I was translating since then for myself. Um, when I got better, I was translating for my parents. When I got better, I was translating for my relatives and whoever wanted my help. Um, and I guess it was just like a matter of time until I decided, you know what, I should get paid for the work I'm doing and make a career out of this. Um, so that was, I think, in my mid-20s when I decided to pivot from my marketing uh, I was just a very, um, I was just a budding marketing professional. Um, I hadn't been in it for a long time. I was only out of school for like a year or two years before I, I thought, you know, I, I enjoy translation a lot more. And I think I would be a much better translator than I make a, tr- a marketer. <laughs> so I pivoted. Tell us uh, about uh, your journey as a reader. Yeah, I I think for for me, um, I feel I'm a little bit different from other uh, literary translators I've met, met because they all tend to be bookworms since they were children and they have degrees in literature, MFA degrees and so on and so forth. But I have a business degree and I actually am not a a comprehensive and I don't I'm not well read at all. But I do like to read very slowly. And, I, and when I read, whenever I read, it is a very um, immersed experience. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think I don't read that many books, but I do read. Uh, I do love the experience of reading. I grew up reading a lot of fantasy books, and that kind of informs the works that I like to translate these days, too. I love doing a speculative fiction, um, and I would love to translate some Korean mythology someday if I have the opportunity to do that. Um, I guess the things that you read as a child 
really leaves an impact on you more than you realize. You worked in marketing for some time. Mm-hmm. Once you like somebody's work, you want to translate it, and uh, probably you do a sample of that and uh, go and pitch it to publishers. And uh, your experience in marketing, how is it helping you on the business side of uh, business side of your work? It's a great question. Theoretically, it should help a lot in in that process because it is a uh, you have to really market your book, and uh, you know publishing at the end of the day is. Is capitalism, and you ha- there's limited resources and platforms to um, feature books. So it should help, but there is a reason why I quit marketing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I enjoyed the creativity I, part of it. I love the creative part of it, but I did not really enjoy the the whole social networking, you know, putting yourself out there part of marketing. And I, I was just really glad to put all of that behind me. And then I was surprised to find that literary translation requires the exact same skill set as being a marketer. Um, and so I really had to force myself to just um, do what needs to be done to get my work out there and also just champion my author's work. If it was my own work, I think I would have probably given up a lot sooner. <laughs> but because there is a weird sense of responsibility for your author, um, right. and you really want to do do well by them, and you want to do justice to their work, and also not just by translating them, but making sure that it gets published is also part of the part of the journey. Like if you translate the whole thing and no one knows about it, then it's it's just a shame. So you do really try to um, promote it yourself. Um, it would be great if translators had agents, but unfortunately, that's not a thing yet. But hopefully, someday we will have trans uh, agents just for translators. You are part of an organization called uh, Smoking Tigers. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, Smoking Tigers is a collective of uh, literary translators working from Korean to English. I think there's about a dozen of us now. Uh, we started back in I think 2017, basically just a bunch of friends who have taken the same translation classes, and we figured, you know what, we we are all working on a project and. We really want to get this out there, so why don't we just uh, work together on it? So um, I think the two main people behind the founding of Smoking Tigers was translator Sophie Bowman and Anton Her. They were the ones that really pushed the organization um, into the world and just um, let us out there. So what we do is basically uh, read each other's work, provide feedback, um, help share resources um, or information on publishers, suggest publishers, suggest authors. We also, some of us have co-translated the works together. Um, and I think it's, be- yeah, yeah. Uh, me and Sophie have translated uh, Kim Boyong's work together. And um, Anton Hirsch, Lin Zhang, um, they've translated the, um, co-translated the BTS book that came out with uh, another translator, Claire Richards. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just it just shows the amount of trust that we have between our colleagues and and the collective. And um, I guess the amazing thing is that when we first started out in 2017, pretty much all of us or most of us were unpublished at the time. 
And this was only six years ago. And now, uh, fast forward, between us, we have maybe 26 books out. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's that's cons- uh, considering, you know, only 10 books, maybe if we're lucky, 10 or a little bit more books in Korean books in English translation come out each year. So 26 is, is quite a good number. And I feel that just with my three publications, um, if I didn't meet the people that I did um, in Smoking Tigers, I probably wouldn't have gotten them published, or at least not as, as fast, yeah. We, we have um, vetted each other's publishing contracts too, informally, and just given suggestions on, you know, oh, so-and-so, is, this might be helpful if you negotiate for, you know, whatever, like royalties or, or whatnot, yeah. Are there any formal training programs for uh, translators uh, as to how to pitch your works to publishers? That would be a great formal program to have, but there's been one-off classes offered by individual translators, but there's no structural um, ongoing program as far as I know. You translated uh, various uh, Korean authors. Tell us uh, whose work you found uh, challenging to translate and uh, why. I I guess I can sort of answer that question at the same time by saying that they're all very uniquely challenging. Um, So I'll just go over what's challenging about each author. Uh, For for Kim Bo-young, she writes speculative fiction and her the pair of stories that I translated by her just had this very out of this world, mind blowing worldview. Her, um, the world building was extremely, um, elaborate and it drew on so many references from, uh, mythology around the world, science, philosophy. So it was just very difficult kind of wrapping my head around that universe at first and visualizing it in my head. Um, I actually drew diagrams of the worldview and sent it to the author <laughs> to to ask her if I have pictured the world um, uh, correctly. And and yeah, yeah, she was. Um, she said it was the same um, vision that she had. She's uh, really lucky. So that for for her, that was a major challenge. And for Penyeon, he's extremely inventive and playful uh, linguistically for some of his work. Uh, so, for example, a recent short story I translated by him, it's called The Aspiration of uh, Chaka Tapa. Uh, that whole story is written without any kind of aspirates. So, like, harsh sounds like ch, So, I don't know if you can imagine an entire story without those sounds. It, it's, uh, it has hilarious results. Are there any books that you found which you thought uh, they should be translated uh, from Korean to English? Well, I I guess the one that I'm working on right now <laughs> would be the the obvious choice because it is um I I, I really think that work is amazing. Um, it's a story collection called Tropical Nights by the author Cho Yeun. She's a young, up-and-coming writer in Korea who's been writing for just a couple of years now, but she already has something like four novels and two story collections out. It's very prolific. And she 
um, the, the story collection that I'm translating right now, um, I, it's something that I would describe as a soft, cozy horror uh, collection. Um, it's, it's very eerie, but also endearing at the same time, like creepy, but cute. Um, and I think that's because it's about, um, the relationships of women with other women and also, uh, about women who find comfort in supernatural company and non-human company. And you see like these budding friendships and, uh, kinship between, uh, women and other creatures, which is, uh, very fascinating. Um, at the same time. So that's, that's what I'm working on right now. And, uh, I believe she has another work coming out in English translation at Humperstar next year. Um, so we will be seeing more of her work in English in the future. Do you think uh, that uh, there are some themes which you particularly get attracted to? Hmm. A good one. I think for for me, um, female narrators are always something that I'm drawn to. Um, and like I mentioned, if there is some sort of fantastical element, uh, speculative element, then that's also a big checklist for me. Um, I do love works with a lot of humor. Uh, a soft spot for funny writers. That's where Kim Young-un comes in. And also Chaeyoung too. I I do love her her brand of humor, um, and anything with uh, I would say um, that speak to my experiences as a member of the diaspora, uh, because I've just lived between cultures all my life, and someone who speaks to that either directly or or indirectly to the experience of being in between things that that really gets gets to me um, and it hits me hard so yeah those stories the korean novel vegetarian written by han kong has won the international booker a few years ago do you think that there is sufficient interest in korean to english translations now yeah i think for for sure that that the booker international booker when uh, by Han Gang and Deborah Smith was a major turning point um, in the history of translation in my language combination and direction. Um, and we've had a lot more women authors following. I've had publishers reach out to ask if there's any anyone like Han Gang <laughs> in Korea that they might publish. Yeah, so there, there has been uh, that. But I feel like um, these days, though, we... I'm seeing more of a rise of um, nonfiction. There's more nonfiction books, uh, self-help books, healing. That seems to be a popular thing these days. There's definitely a lot of speculative fiction being um, translated into English from Korean um, and queer fiction too, um, literature, not just fiction. Um, so th- that would be like the major um, trends I'm seeing that's uh, being published right now. Che Yu Young, the author of the book uh, Shoko Smile, can you talk about uh, her style of writing and the themes uh, that she regularly deals with? 
Chen Yong is a writer who mainly uh, writes about, I guess, the lives of women in South Korea. In Choke with Smile, she focuses mainly on 20 or 30-something uh, women and um, also victims of state violence. Um, uh, there's, I guess, some romance between women as well. Uh, there's that element. Um, and she she writes about, I guess, painful um, histories um, and stories of these women in, in a very quiet way, I would say. Uh, she doesn't sensationalize anything. Uh, she doesn't embellish anything. And she just keeps things simple. And I, and I feel like uh, some of the most powerful lines I've read in, from books are the simplest lines. And she has a lot of them. She has a lot of simple, incisive lines that just just, just really gut you. <laughs> it really guts you. Um, yeah, and that's, I think that's part of why her, her stories speak to readers so much. Uh, a lot of reviewers say that they feel like uh, re reading their own diary when they read her work. And it's because her her stories and the emotions she details feel so private and intimate to them, and they see themselves um, in the stories. As you just said, uh, when I read the book, uh, I found uh, the prose uh, to be very simple and uh, very stylistic and beautiful. I feel uh, when it is very simple and beautiful, uh, it would uh, pose a great challenge for you to translate uh, that's true. Normally, I read the same sentence uh, twice or thrice if I don't understand it. But in this particular case, there are various places where I just wanted to stay on the same sentence and uh, linger a bit more, you know, for a few more seconds. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you said that because that is the exact experience I had when I read her for the first time. I I read all of her stories very slowly. Um, I read one story uh, per day, and I had to take a big break, a long break between the stories because I just could not bring myself to read the next stories. I had to recover from what what I had just read, and each story just packs such an emotional punch that sometimes I would not be able to sleep. After reading one story, um, I remember after reading Hanji and Youngju, that particular one, I did not get sleep that night. <laughs> and I, yeah, I kept like thinking about all of these past relationships that I've had and like how I've hurt them, how they've hurt me, and <laughs> just brought back so much memories. And it is it is very harrowing and haunting in in that way, um, just how it kind of. Uh, unearths all your memories that you thought you had forgotten um and so that was i was uh it took me maybe half a year to finish the book because not because i didn't like it but it's just i just could not <laughs> subject myself to reading it um back to back but what's interesting is that when i started translating it it was a really fast process um and i'm usually a slow translator i think compared to some other translators out there but this was probably one of the fastest translations that I've done. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what, why, but I feel that maybe um, my own voice, my own writer's voice is quite similar to Cheon Young's voice. 
and I felt that translating her was um, almost frictionless. It can't be completely friction uh, frictionless, of course, but as frictionless as can be for a translation. Um, and so, like, you asked me what's the toughest translation uh, that I've done, and it's really hard to pick one. But if you ask me what was the easiest one, then I would have said Shoko Smile. It was, uh, yeah, it was a quite, quite a smooth process, I think. What is that particular aspect of this book which really pushed you to translate it? Um, so, so I mentioned that a lot of this book is about the relationships uh, between women and it can be friendship or maybe something beyond that and how, how a relationship is first born, how two people grow close together and like the joy um, and the tingly sensations of becoming intimate with each other. And then the relationship peaks, something happens and then it breaks. Uh, and we have characters sort of haunted by their memories of what happened um, and dealing with the aftermath of a relationship that has been broken. And for me, that speaks, that, that struck a chord with me, I guess, because I've been moving around um, just, I don't think I've ever lived in a place longer than four or five years. I've kept, I've, I've done six international moves so far. And by moving ar- around, I'm kind of forced to abruptly distance myself to the friends that I've made and um, having to make new friends. And this eternal cycle and uh, is what makes me hypersensitive to the fluctuation, the, the fluctuating distances between two people. And I think um, Cheon Young's writing, it really reflected exactly how, how I feel when someone grows close to me and when someone um, drifts away. In this book, all narrators are female and uh, they're all suffering. <laughs> I mean, they're not all suffering. I, I mean, there there's, um, like I said, they're... It's it's all fun and joyful when we're th- when they're becoming close and there's lots of humor there too, um, but but I do know where you're where you're what you're saying. Out of all the stories I read from the book, uh, Hanji and Youngju, I feel that's the best. Uh, the way it's written is uh, very very interesting. You have this uh, Youngju who is a 25-30 year old girl talking about. Uh, are broken relationships. Though it appears uh, at a surface level that uh, a writer is uh, sympathetic to the first-person narrator, that is Jungju, I felt uh, there are a lot of hints within the story that uh, it's Jungju is the cause for the separation and uh, she's, a, she's an unreliable narrator. Okay. Oh, wow. I I, I didn't think of it, uh, it that way, but that's that's really interesting to hear. For for me, um, I just took it more as um, she she loves Hanji so much that <laughs> that um, if he decides to ice her out, there must be reasons. Um, he must have his own reasons, and just seeking clarification from him would be harassing him and she does not want to go there and she accepts whatever whatever reason that he might have had to break the relationship she decides to accept it and still go on loving him 
Um, and it's just staying very lonely, I guess, for, for the rest of her life. Um, because we see her in the future when she's, uh, when she's doing her geological expedition and pushing that note into the ice. Um, so for me, I, I, I thought at the point of the story was that sometimes, uh, relationships break down and we may never understand why it broke down and who broke it and why, uh, sorry. Yeah. Who broke it and why? And sometimes it's natural, um, not to ever have closure and clarity on why something broke. When you read this story, you find Hanji is the one, Hanji is the only one who is crying. Sometimes you can't express grief in tears. I think she she's devastated that, that he's not talking to her anymore. And she freezes up and she's in her own cycle of you know, reciting the geologic time scale. And she's really trying her best to... Um, accept that that silence from from Hanji. Um, and I know that this story it, it makes readers go crazy. They 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 finish the book and they're like, what just happened? Why? Why are they not together? And that is one one very possible theory. Um, one po- another theory that I've, I've kind of entertained in my head as I translated was how uh, Hanji kept mentioning her Youngju's simplicity. And that was a line that kind of turned up a couple of times. And Hanji has a very complicated life back at home. Um, he has the sister to take care of and um, she can't go anywhere. And that's a lot of responsibility for him. Whereas we see Youngju, she's running away from home, um, shirking all responsibility. She's not going, she doesn't want to go back to grad school anymore. And maybe to Hanji, that just seems like she's living in a different world. Um, not having to bear the kind of responsibilities and realities that he faces. And so he just maybe could not see them together in the future. He just got, could not picture them together um, and decided to end the relationship when it was uh, less painful. Was one of my theories. <laughs> but who knows? Who knows what was in Hanji's head? What you, what you say is um, interesting because I've never really considered it from that perspective. And I guess yet we are in Youngju's, we, we only have her account. We don't have anybody else's account. So we, we will never know for sure what, what has happened. Um, but because Youngju has a crush on Hanji, I'm sure she is sort of idolizing um, Hanji's many traits. And she sees him as this perfect very social, loved by everybody, but but we see from Karo, as you said, that that's um, not all there is to to Hanji, and that's part of what what we experience when we have a crush on somebody. Yeah, we we worship them and kind of see what we want to see. I think whatever she complains about Hanji is all her imagination. Oh wow! Well, this is so this is so good. <laughs> I might want to like. Um, Go back to Chenyang and talk talk to her about this. No, no, please talk to the writer and text me what her response is. <laughs> yeah, 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 I will. I think uh, that's the hallmark of a great story. Uh, depending on the reader who is reading it and the mood that he is in, it can have multiple uh, logical interpretations. 
No, no, no. I, I think it's a great point because a lot of her stories in that collection have uh, open endings. Like Shoko Smile too, there is an open ending. And Hanji and Youngju, that's probably the, the biggest, um, the, the ending with the most in, um, possibilities for interpretation. And that's what haunts you. That's what <laughs> makes you think about it while you take a shower, while you go to sleep. Um, and I think that that is really the power of um, ambiguity. And it really just makes you pause and, um, and keeps you there. And the other story which I really liked is uh, the Shoko Smile. Uh, especially the title. It's very, very apt for the story. Yeah. Uh, Shoko Smile is about two girls, uh, Shoko and the narrator Soyu. Uh, Shoko is from Japan who comes on an, a short exchange program to Korea to visit Soyu for a week. Uh, and the two grow very close, very quickly uh, during that uh, one week. And Shoko leaves and we follow their uh, trajectories as they grow up. Um, they have ups and downs um, in their lives. Uh, Shoko goes through some um, very difficult patches of her life too, uh, mentally. Uh, while uh, Soyu, she aspires to be a writer, a film director, and then she fails. Uh, so, so then there's that really interesting um, sort of sense of rivalry between the two friends, envy, um, jealousy, but also respect for each other, a lot of affection, uh, even desire, uh, just a lot of complicated emotions going on in between them. And uh, we see there's a lot of references to Choko's smile and how she smiles at Soyu and it's not the smile that you would expect a friend to give another friend. It's a very loaded smile, but in a subtle way. And we see that smile um, being interpreted di differently by Soyu from at different points in the story. Um, oh, so that's one big part of the story. And then the other part is Soyu's relationship with her mother and grandfather and um, how that strained relationship uh, becomes... Mm, I guess reconciled uh, throughout um, by interacting with Shoko. Shoko also interacts with uh, the grandfather and mother character as well, and all all of that those relationships kind of come together in the end. Tell us about the program that you are attending right now. Oh yes, um, so I'm I'm in a residency called Art Omai, and it's based in upstate New York. And it invites uh, writers and translators around the world to, to come and gather for about a month um, and work on their projects. They provide, there is a cook here, so they provide dinner every day, uh, which is amazing. So, and then we can have leftovers the next day. So it really helps by, you know, saving time that goes into cooking and doing the dishes and cleaning. Uh, which I realized takes up most of my day when when I'm at home, just planning out my three meals a day. It's it is such a hassle just to keep this body alive. Um, so not having to worry about that has been a huge help, and I've been probably the most um, productive with my translations um, ever since arriving here. When you say translation, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's. Uh... I, I wanted to be a fantasy writer since I was a kid. And I actually started translating thinking that 
if I read and translate from the best works in that genre, then it will be the perfect training for me. And I can really closely observe what these writers I admire are doing. And I started doing that. And for some reason, starting to translate literature, it extinguished any desire I have to to write, <laughs> write my own stuff. I don't know why. Maybe maybe the creativity involved in translation um, is satisfying enough for me. And I just feel really content uh, when I translate. And I think it's just just having lived in between languages and cultures all my life, it is the most natural space for me to be in. Um, and I really don't know what else to be, what, el- what else to do if I'm not translating. Um, so it is probably the most natural, translating is the most natural way to be myself. Um, and also specifically translating from Korean to English. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not sure if you're aware, but, um, th- only 3% of all books published in the U.S. are translations. Can you guess the percentage of Korean literature that makes up that 3%? It's an, it's another 3%, less than 3%, actually, 2 to 3%. So it's 3% of 3% of all books sold in the U.S. is from Korean literature. And it's interesting for me because I uh, translate the in the other direction as well, from English to Korean. And the realities in the Korean market is is quite, quite different. Um, I think some like 20% of all books sold in Korea, published in Korea, are translations. And 40% of that is translated from English. So you see like the disparity, the um the gap between those numbers is is quite quite stunning and for me i guess having been a minority all my life um like rooting for the the underdog the the misfits um the outcasts that is very important i guess it comes naturally for me too um and restoring some kind of balance uh however m- much of it that we can uh achieve by translating these um, very uh, stories from very marginalized voices out into a powerful language, um, that kind of subversion and um, attempting balance is is an important part of why I translate more in this direction versus the other way around. Please read a paragraph or two from the story that I like most, Hanji and Yongju. In both Korean and in English. Oh no, I prepared a, an excerpt from um, another story. Uh, <laughs> but do, do you have uh, a section that you would like me to read? I can find the Korean for that and, and do that too. Mm, the letter uh, Yongju writes and uh, checks it away. Would you like me to read the Korean first or the English first? English first. English first, please. I am at the silence house now. It's five in the afternoon and the weather is a little chilly. Tonight, you will have a farewell gathering with the others. Someone will play the guitar and sing. Someone will reminisce about the time they spent with you. You and Carl will talk about your stay here and thank everyone. I won't be there and you will be relieved that I haven't showed up. Tomorrow, you will leave for Nairobi and be reunited with your family in your home by evening. 
how glad Leah will be to see you, and how happy you will be to see her. You will take a shower, and pack, and eat with your family. You will show them the pictures on your phone, and talk about this place, as if only good things have happened here. All the while feeling inwardly sorry that your family can't go anywhere. So you will become more dedicated to your family, and soon resume working at the animal hospital. You will become a little confused once time passes. It will feel strange that there was a time when you stayed at the monastery in a remote French village, that you shared your story to a small Korean girl and met her every day for a stroll. The reason you ignored my greetings and turned your back on me will have faded by then. When you think of me again then, I will have turned into a faceless, voiceless person already. I will have become someone who left the faintest trace in your life, or perhaps no trace at all, a stranger whose life has nothing to do with yours. Like you, I will also leave this place someday and go back to where I used to live. I will start commuting to the school lab again, deal with rocks, go on research trips to the caves of Japan and China. I will put on more age-appropriate clothes and expressions, strive not to create conflicts with anyone, and very occasionally recall my time here, the time when I was most able to be myself. I will remember you and me from that time. Thank you for keeping me company in my desolate heart. Hanji, I hope that the time ahead of you will be full of blessing. I wish you the blessing of oblivion and that you will find the strength to exist moment by moment. Yongju. Uh, in Korean, Hanji, 나는 지금 침묵의 집에 있어. 시간은 오후 5시이고, 날씨는 조금 쌀쌀해. 오늘 저녁에 너는 다른 아이들과 함께 선별 모임을 할 거야. 거기서 누군가는 기타를 치며 노래할 테고, 또 누군가는 너와 함께 지냈던 시간을 추억하며 이야기하겠지. 너와 카로는 여기에서 지냈던 시간에 대해 이야기하고, 모두에게 고맙다고 말할 거야. 나는 거기에 없을 테고, 너는 내가 나타나지 않아 안심했겠지. 안심하겠지. 내일 너는 나이로비로 떠날 거고, 저녁 무렵에는 너의 집에서 가족을 만나게 될 거야. 레아는 너를 보고 얼마나 기뻐할까? 그런 레아를 만날 너는 얼마나 행복할까? 너는 샤워를 하고 짐을 풀고 가족들과 함께 식사를 하겠지. 핸드폰으로 찍은 사진들을 가족들에게 보여주면서 여기에서는 좋은 일만 있었다는 듯이 이야기할 거야. 그러면서도 마음속으로는 어디에도 가지 못하는 너희 가족들에게 미안해야겠지. 그래서 넌 가족에게 더 성실해질 테고 어자나 다시 동물병원에서 일을 시작, 시작하게 될 거야. 시간이 지나면 너는 좀 어리둥절해질 거야. 네가 한때 프랑스의 한 시골 마을에서 수도원 생활을 했고 거기에서 조그마한 한국 여자에게 내 이야기를 털어놓고 매일 만난 한책을 했다는 사실이 낯설게 느껴지게 될 거야. 그때가 되면 네가 내 인사를 피하고 내게 등을 돌린 이유도 옅어지겠지. 그때 나를 다시 생각한다면 이미 나는 얼굴도 목소리도 사라진 사람이 되었을 거야. 나는 너의 인생에 아주 작은 흔적만을 남긴 어쩌면 아무런 흔적도 남기지 못한 너와 무관하게 살아가는 타인이 될 거야. 나도 언젠가는 너처럼 이곳을 떠나 내가 살던 곳으로 가게 되겠지. 다시 연구실에 출근을 하고 암석을 상대하고 
일본과 중국의 동굴들로 출장을 떠날 거야. 나이에 걸맞은 옷과 표정을 걸치고서 누구와도 불화하지 않으려고 애를 쓰면서 아주 가끔씩 지금의 시간들을 떠올리게 될 거야. 내가 가장 나다울 수 있었던 시간을 그 시간 속에 너와 나를 기억할 거야. 내 정막한 마음이 함께 있어줘서 고마웠어. 한지, 네가 앞으로 살아갈 시간에 축복이 가득하길 망각의 축복을 순간순간마다 존재할 수 있는 힘을 낼수 있기를 영주 Sounds so beautiful. Thank you very much. It was uh, such a joy talking to you. Me too. Like this, this was awesome. Just, just because I can, I can still tell that you really, really read and connected with the work, and it's amazing. Always, you know, hearing from readers because I n- normally don't really get that um, when I translate. And yeah, this has been an amazing experience for me too.